Welcome to this podcast from St. Michael and All Angels Episcopal Church in Albuquerque, New Mexico. We hope you consider hitting like or subscribe. We hope you will share this audio with your friends and neighbors, help others know about our inclusive, theologically progressive community of faith. If you'd like to support our ministries, you can make a gift at stmichaelsabq.org. As Samuel grew up, God was with him and let none of his words fall to the ground. In the name of our loving, liberating, life-giving God, amen. Please be seated. In his last Sunday sermon, preached at the Washington National Cathedral, Dr. King said that our country was experiencing a triple revolution. He said we were experiencing first a technological and cybernetic, his word, uh, revolution. He said we were experiencing a revolution of weaponry, talked specifically about the atomic bomb. And third, he said that there was another revolution. He said this, there is a human rights revolution with the freedom explosion that is taking place all over the world. So I read those words this week, I had to pause. I found myself wondering, you know, Dr. King talked about his moment in history as a human rights revolution, a freedom explosion. And if you were alive today, I wonder, what would Dr. King think about the revolution of human rights in 2024? Would he still think of his time, of our times, as revolutionary? Or would his tone be more like the words that started off that reading from the first book of Samuel? The word of the Lord was rare in those days. Visions were not widespread. What would the dreamer make of 2024? This weekend, when we pause to consider Dr. King, I think it's important we consider what Dr. King would have to say to us today. To approach an answer as Christians, I think, is to talk about the role of the prophet. In the first book of Samuel, generally, and this story specifically, it talks about the call of a prophet. And I think in the church we get prophecy pretty wrong. I, I think we tend to think about prophecy a little bit about like this exchange between Nathaniel and Jesus. Right? Nathaniel is caught off guard. I love this story because it's one where the disciple just gets it totally wrong. He's caught up in his own bias. He gives that famous line, can anything good come from Nazareth? He's a cynic, right? But it's more than that. Because Nathaniel's caught up with some magical thinking about Jesus. He's amazed that Jesus saw him under a fig tree. Now, what Nathaniel was doing under that fig tree, we will never know. But we get a sense that he thought he was alone and that Jesus saw him. And so there's this magical thinking. He's astounded, and Jesus responds to Nathaniel, do you believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree? We tend to think of prophecy as a sort of magic, a seeing of something that's undisclosed, a, a telling of the future, but that's not what prophecy is about in the Bible. Prophecy is not about the gift of seeing the future, not really. 
Whatever Dr. King would make of 2024, our day's reality does not diminish the power of his words in his own day. It's not that he got the future wrong. It's not what prophecy is about. A true biblical prophet isn't a fortune teller. That's not what prophecy means. The prophetic gift isn't the power to see the future. It is about the power to see the present. A prophetic word tells a truth about today in a way that can make a difference tomorrow. In order to hope against hope, we have to listen for prophets in unlikely places. Samuel is such an unlikely prophet that he doesn't even understand that it is God who is calling to him. This sounds to me like a story that a mentor would tell at a graduation ceremony. Do you remember that time, Samuel, you came to me thinking it was me three times before you finally listened to God? Samuel is so unlikely he can't understand that it is God speaking. He's not one of Eli's sons. He's not who we'd expect, unless we know our Bible. Because if you know the Bible, you know that God's words don't tend to come from the likely people. They don't come from the powerful. God's words aren't often popular. It's one of the difficult truths of the Bible. God tends to speak through those on the underside. God spoke through Abraham, an immigrant. God spoke through Joseph, the rainbow-wearing kid whose own siblings didn't like him so much they sold him into slavery. God spoke through Moses, a revolutionary who was on the lamb after committing murder. God spoke through Ruth, a Moabite, an ethnic outsider. God spoke through a little shepherd boy, a youngest son, to slay the giant and become king. God's own son, we learn, has no place to lay his head. He spent his time with tax collectors, sinners, and women of ill repute. You know, women like Paul seems so concerned about this morning in that reading from the Corinthians. As a total aside, I have to say, I didn't know Ellis had been assigned to that reading. And I am deeply impressed he made it through without giggling. He usually giggles, and I often make sure he gets assigned fornication. But Jesus hung out with people like Paul is so worried about. We often talked about Dr. King as a modern-day prophet, even as a modern Moses. Many of our history textbook chapters and physical monuments, there's a monument in Washington, D.C. to Dr. King. If you told people in the 60s that that was going to happen, they would have told you you were crazy. Dr. King is talked about in the media and by politicians today in a way that would deeply surprise people of his own time. We've made king larger than life, forgotten that king was controversial, even to those who supported civil rights. And for the Episcopal Church, we may be the worst in this one. That collect we read, the prayer at the start of the service, is taken from a feast day. We call Dr. Martin Luther King a saint of the church today. But it has not always been so. Do you know that Dr. King's letter from a Birmingham jail, that famous letter, was written to a couple of Episcopal bishops, at least in part? Bishop Murray, the Bishop of Alabama, along with Bishop Carpenter, 
and, and the Methodist, Catholic, Jewish, and Baptist colleagues, they had written a public letter they called a call for unity. They wrote publicly to Dr. King and asked him to leave Alabama. They called his marches, quote, unwise and untimely. Episcopal bishops were among those to whom Dr. King addressed his letter from the Birmingham jail when he said that the worst enemy of black people was not the Klansmen, but the white moderate. We all like to imagine, if he were alive today, that we would be marching in the streets with Dr. King. But our legacy as an Episcopal church complicates the question. There were Episcopalians marching with Dr. King, sure, but they were not the mainstream of the church. Prophets often aren't popular because prophets tell the truth today in a way that demands change for tomorrow. In days that seem chaotic, in days that seem spiteful and hateful, the prophets call us back to the way the universe is ordered for love. Prophets call us to justice because the revolution of God is a loving revolution of justice. That's not always popular. But I think it's where we can pick up Dr. King's idea of an ongoing revolution for human rights. You know, when Dr. King preached that last Sunday of his life at the National Cathedral, he sounded full of hope. He was in the midst of a new campaign, a poor people's campaign. See, after the passage of the Civil Rights Act in 1964 and the Voters, Act, Voters Rights Act of 1965, a lot of people thought King's work was done, that he should just sit down. Dr. King knew it wasn't done. The hope he was preaching that morning, it was hard won. Just a year earlier, he had, pro he had published his fourth book. And to write the book, King went down to Jamaica to rest and to spend some time in reflection. In truth, he went to escape the pressures of the United States. He went to a black-majority country to get out of what was going on in the States at the time. King had spent so much time on the road, in jail, worried about the threats against his own life and that of his family, he took some time to contemplate, to breathe, to think about what came next. See, after the laws were passed, there were riots in Watts, California, and worker strikes up in Detroit, Michigan. And Dr. King took that time in Jamaica to sit and to pray and to write, and he ended up producing his fourth and final book. Do you know the title? Where Do We Go From Here? Chaos or Community? Where Do We Go From Here? Chaos or Community? The Reverend Dr. Howard John Wesley of Alfred Street Baptist Church in the Washington, D.C. area, he says that that is still our question today. Where do we go from here? chaos, or community. We're at the start of a legislative cycle in Santa Fe, at the start of another election year, which will likely be a bruising one for many of us listening to rhetoric that makes us worry about the state of our democracy. When you're frustrated, when you're tired, when you're scared, when the voices of hatred are echoing, what will you choose? You know, I'm going to confess something to you now that you've installed me as rector. <laughs> I believe we are actually called to grow the church. 
And, and I know that there are those today who would say that, well, clergy just want to grow the church because they want to get more donors. And to that I will say I will never turn down a pledge. But that's not actually why I want to grow the church. I want to grow the church because I believe in the power of community. I believe in the power of belonging, especially in a world with an epidemic of loneliness. I believe that the antidote to the hate and the cynicism that we hear so much of in our world is sitting right here. Belonging has real power. Community can help us to know, can help our neighbor to know we are beloved. Community can help us to live and to work in hope. I believe Jesus wanted us to build up a movement for justice and love. And so the question is before us, will we invite our neighbors who, like us, are angry about the state of our world, will we invite them not just to church, but to serve at the food pantry or to join us in a caravan up to Santa Fe to meet with legislators. In days of exclusion, will we invite our immigrant neighbors, our trans siblings, our hungry and housing insecure, addicted and mentally ill neighbors too? Will we invite our neighbors to a place where they can belong? If he were alive today, I pray that Dr. King would find us at work to ensure that his prophetic words never fall to the ground. I pray that he would find us at work telling the truth about today so that we can make a loving difference tomorrow. In times of rampant cynicism, when so many of us sigh or yell at our TVs and our phones, I, when they're reporting the news, I pray that Dr. King would find us putting down the devices I pray that he would find us inviting our neighbors into a ragtag community of unlikely hope, of loving hope. Even in 2024, I pray that Dr. King would find us involved in an ongoing revolution for human rights. Amen.